So I want to ask you a question, and uh, if you've got your Bible, we're heading into Genesis 20, because we're going to be looking at a Bible story. And uh, the question I have for you, as we get ready to be thinking about this story, is if you were to have a book that was written about your life, if you were to have a book that was written about your accomplishments, your ups, your downs, maybe the mundaneness that happens, what would you want to be written in there? What would you want to be written in there? What would you like to be left out? Or what would you like to slightly tweak so that they could understand your motivation and your heart behind it? When we read stories and when we read books, it's really great sometimes when we see the actions of a character, but we have insight into the motivation and their history and their past. And we can see why they have got to the point where they've got. But for many of us in life, uh, we do some things and we don't have a chance to explain our motivations or explain our history and explain our past. But if you were to have a book that was written about you, what would you want to be written in there? And whatever it is you would want written about you, I'm sure that you would want it to be true. For many of us, we probably wouldn't mind the bad times that we've gone through. We probably wouldn't mind having that written about the actions we took that maybe didn't reflect us in our best state. But as long as it was true, as long as what is written is true, then uh, I think that we value that. We value that personally. And I'm sure if there were some half-lies that built us up to look a bit better, some of us would appreciate that. Um, But for the majority of us, we just want it to be true. The reason I want to have a look uh, for this week and next week at a couple of Bible stories is because I believe that what we have written here is a story that is true but can be a little bit... um, weird in places uh, that can be a little bit, wow, that happened. Um, and hopefully they can reveal about, they can reveal the motivations that we have as humans and show us a little bit about how awesome God is. So today we're going to be heading into Genesis 20. And this story, if you've read it before, is um, it's not Abraham's greatest moment. It's, it's, it's a down point for him. But it is something that we believe happened. Abraham, if uh, just to catch you up with where we are in the story, Abraham is a man that has been called to become the person who sets up the nation that God wants to call his nation. And in fact, the reason that Abraham was chosen was because God looked at him and said, you are a man of faith. But here in Genesis 20, we see Abraham acting as a man with no faith, as a man with no faith. But the cool thing is, is that God has an agreement. If we want to go to that first slide... I want to have a look at this idea that we have a faithful God, but messy people. And and Abraham here, he has a covenant with God, which a covenant is just an agreement between two parties. And God is trying to establish his people in the story of Genesis. It's the first book of the Bible we have. It's the first writing that we have that says how God created. And it ends us off with uh, the people of God getting trapped in Egypt. And here we have Abraham, and God is uh, establishing him to be the man that he's meant to be, But in Genesis chapter 20, he does something which is really stupid. And the man who who is said to be a man of faith is actually a man who exercises no faith at all. So let's go through this story together in Genesis chapter 20. So let's go to the next slide there. It says, For a while Abraham stayed in Gerar. And there Abraham said to his wife Sarah, said of his wife Sarah, sorry, that she is my sister. Then Abimelech, king of that area, sent for Sarah and took her. 
But God came to Abimelech in a dream one night and said to him, you are as good as dead because the woman you have taken is a married woman. So Abraham has had a bit of a relocation here. He's moved into a new area and he recognizes that in this area there is a king who is uh, much stronger and more powerful than he is. And as a self-defense mechanism to make sure that the king doesn't come and kill him and take his wife, he says, it's better that people recognize that she's actually my sister and see that she's my sister so that they don't come and kill me and take her. Which is a really cowardly thing to do, by the way. For those of you who are married, that's not a, <laughs> it's not a way to build trust within a relationship, is it? Self-preservation. Unfortunately, in the beginning, Adam did the same thing. Anyway, uh, even Adam did the same thing. So here we have Abraham. He's moved into a new area. He wants to be protected. And the king comes and takes Sarah away. And Abraham is spared. Now, it doesn't say how he felt at this moment. But I'm sure he'd be very, conf- very conflicted. Like, my wife has been taken away. But I'm okay. And I did tell the lie. So I don't know what's going on in his mind. But I'm sure it was a very conflicting time for him. If we go on to the next slide. Then God said to Abimelech, so the king who took him, his name is Abimelech, and he comes and he takes Sarah, and God appears to Abimelech in a dream. How cool is that? Um, God appears to him in a dream, and he says, Yes, I know you've taken this woman with a clean conscience, and so I've kept you from sinning against me. That is why I did not let you touch her. So what's happened here is Abimelech, he hears that Sarah is his wife, and he goes, what have you done? Like, I wouldn't have taken you if I'd known that this was your wife. And Abimelech's a bit like, oh, he's in a, he's in a bit of a pickle now. And God says to Abimelech through a dream, uh, he appears to him in a dream, and he says, I know that you didn't do this with that, but, you know, you weren't intending for this to happen. So I've actually stopped you from sinning against her, so from sleeping with her. And God goes on, now return the man's wife, for he is a prophet. And uh, he will pray for you and you will live. But if you do not return her, you may be sure that you and all who belong to you will die. And that's a pretty big threat, isn't it? Return the wife, otherwise you're going to die. So so Abimelech says, yes, of course I'm going to return the wife. This is not a good outcome for me at all. God is appearing to me in a dream and these threats are very real. And it's interesting here. Now the return, now return the man's wife for he is a prophet. So God, even though Abraham has done the wrong thing, and Abimelech, the person who doesn't follow God, is actually doing the right thing, God says, I'm still backing Abraham. Abraham is still the prophet. That's really interesting. Because a big thing when it comes to God in the Old Testament is that the people of Israel are meant to embody the character of God. That's a really big point which Genesis tries to make is that as God is revealing himself to humanity in this way of the nation of Israel, he's actually trying to show the people that they need to show everyone else who he is and what his character is like. So for God to rock up in a dream and to say to this person that I'm actually backing Abraham who did the wrong thing is really interesting because God's faithfulness to Abraham, even though he did the wrong thing, is what is prioritized here. Because remember, Genesis is all about the fact that God has made a covenant with humanity in this new way. He's made this covenant with Abraham that there will be a great nation that comes out. And Abimelech, even though he doesn't, even though he isn't following God, he's still doing morally what is better and superior. God still comes around and says, yes, I know Abraham's messed up, but 
He is a prophet. He is chosen. I have an agreement with him. And this is really encouraging for you and for me. Because when we say that we follow Jesus, when we enter in a relationship with God, when we mess up, which we will, God backs that agreement even though we are messy people who make terrible, terrible mistakes. And that is really, really good news for you and for me because it means that no matter what we do, when we are in relationship with God, when we follow Jesus, He is for us. And hopefully over time we don't make those same mistakes again, but inevitably we always seem to muck it up some way. But the covenant, the agreement that we have with Him remains no matter what. And the story goes on. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said, What have you done to us? Have I wronged you? How have I wronged you? That you have brought such a great guilt upon me in my kingdom. Abraham replied, I said to myself, There is surely no fear of God in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she really is my sister, the daughter of my father, through, though not my mother, and she became my wife. Two interesting things here, even though you may only be drawn to one interesting thing in this passage, if you've never read it. Let's just call it what it is. That second part there is really weird. Let's read that again together. (coughs) Besides, she really is my sister, the daughter of my father, though not of my mother. Does anyone want to come up and explain that? (laughs) I spent an hour and a half this week wrestling with just this part because I don't know what to do with that. And I've read different commentators if you're unaware of Christian culture, the Bible has been written, and since then, about a million other books trying to explain what the Bible really says, and these are called commentaries. And I've been going over commentaries trying to figure out, what, is this, what does this mean? And, and the conclusion that I've come to after poring over them, and you may come to a different conclusion, that's absolutely fine. The conclusion that I've come to is that it is not unlawful yet for them to marry in this way, but it is definitely weird And it's definitely something that does become unlawful later on. In Leviticus, you're not allowed to marry people that close to you. Now, there is some debate saying, well, is it actually his half-sister or is it his niece? That doesn't sound any better. But the language and the way thing, yeah, (coughs) it doesn't sound any better. So to us, reading this with our view of history, with our understanding of how society works, we look at that and we'll call it what it is. It's weird. But what I love, and this actually fills me with confidence when I read stuff like this, is that we are able to read this and no one has come through and tried to to wipe it clean. Because at the time, it's just recording what happened. It's not trying to justify it. Within the story here, if anything, Abraham's sort of trying to tell a half-truth. And we'll get to that in a moment, his motivations in a moment. So he's trying to wiggle his way out a little bit, which is not, not great. But with our view of history and with our understanding, we know and recognize that don't do that. And we as people have here a part of history written down that doesn't try and justify, wipe it clean. No one's come in later on and tried to wipe it from the record to try and make him be this perfect, proper story. It just records what has happened. And that gives me faith in the fact that the, that the Bible is not some squeaky clean book that's trying to bring everything together to make it cohesive. It's a bi- our Bible, the Bible that we have, is actually a record of God interacting with humanity, and this is just part of the story. And you can try and explain it away if you want to. You can try and justify it if you want to. But I just say that is just what happened. And uh, it's weird. And that's okay. There's nothing, there's, nothing, there's nothing wrong with thinking that that's weird. 
But I want to, I want to, now that we've got past that part, let's go back up to the first part there. Abimelech says, how have I wronged you? How have I wronged you? Um, this is really, um, really, really, really sad little part of scripture here that Abraham, um, Abimelech hasn't done anything wrong to him. But Abraham, acting out of fear and acting out of what could happen, tells a half-truth because now we find out, well, actually, it's sort of his half-sister, whatever's going on there. So he didn't, he didn't completely lie, but he definitely told it with the intention of protection and he did it in a deceitful manner. And Abimelech's going, what, why? Why? And what, one of the things that sort of explains it a little bit is that previously Abraham had a run-in in Sodom, uh, which is a Canaanite city. And here he moves into another area which has a Canaanite city. And it appears that his experience has painted this city in the same way of what his experience has been. And we do this as humans all the time. We have a bad experience and we get into a new place and we look at it and we paint the new place with our old experience. And we bring our hurt and our pain into that situation. And that, that is what has happened here. Is Abraham has said, well... Surely no one here loves God because the place I just came from, they didn't love God. And so rather than trust God that he would protect them, rather than trust God that he would make sure that they're okay, he just went, well, I wasn't safe over there. I'm not going to be safe here. Rather than put my trust in God, I'm just going to trust myself, tell a half lie, be deceitful, be manipulative so that I can protect myself and make sure that I'm okay. And that's really sad because this is the guy who God said, you have great faith, and here he is acting in a way where he has no faith. So Abimelech is rightfully saying, what have I done? Like, yes, he shouldn't be taking other people's family members without, against their will. Not gonna, <laughs> that's obviously a bad thing. He shouldn't be doing that. But at the same time, Abraham should have been honest. Abraham should have trusted, trusted in God sorry, and said, this is how it is. She is my wife, and this is what we're doing. So, Abimelech, uh, to rectify the situation, next slide, Abimelech brought sheep and cattle to Sarah. and uh, Sorry, sheep and cattle. And to Sarah, Abimelech said, I have given your brother a thousand shekels of silver. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech. He healed his uh, wife and female slaves so they could have children again. I can imagine the sarcasm that's happening within the story here. Abimelech has been wronged by Abraham and he goes and he actually pays Abraham with silver and cattle and sheep. I can imagine him going up to Sarah really sarcastically, like, I've given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. This shouldn't be happening. He shouldn't have to pay back. He's not the one who did anything wrong in this case. It's actually Abraham who messed up, but he comes back and he ends up giving this over. I can imagine him just, you know, almost throwing it at her, just like, you know, throwing it at them saying, here, have your money. But have your money and have your stuff. And Abimelech is the one who actually goes and gives back to there. So what are we, what are we going to take from this story? It's a really interesting piece of narrative. If we could act it out, um, that would be way more engaging, wouldn't it? Make a little video of finger puppets or something. But it's quite an, it's a quite an incredible little story here. And it's a story that doesn't try and hide who Abraham is. It's a story that doesn't try and... Um, paint him in a light that's not true. And I asked you before, if you were to have a book written about your life, I'm sure there's stories like this one, where you were dishonest, deceitful, and where you did something so that you could gain for personal or maybe for corporate if you're in business. 
and you did something deceitful and for gain, and that ultimately showed that you didn't trust whether it was God or you didn't trust family members or you didn't trust whatever it may be. But what we have here is a story that happened and that is true. If I was writing my story for my life, and if I was, in fact, the author of Genesis, and I was really insecure about what had happened, and I really wanted to prove that the Bible is real, that God is real, my temptation would be to try and write it in such a way that everything just looked good. Because when we try to sell something, we want it to look the best it possibly can. We want to polish that up as much as we can. And when we come to stories like this, the Bible doesn't give us any wriggle room. The person who God chose to bring forth the nation of Israel, he was not a perfect person. We see this currently in, um, in politics. If you've been, following the, um, you've been following all the stuff happening in America with how they choose, um, is it Kavanaugh and the, the Supreme Court stuff? He has a checkered history and a terrible history. And a terrible history of that, and it's something that we do not support and that we think is, is wrong. We should be treating each other and people of the opposite sex in the utmost respect and honour. But he has a checkered history. And he's someone that has a past. In your life, if you're introspective enough to reflect in your own experience, when you were young, you were probably young, dumb, and did something stupid as well. Maybe you were old and did something stupid. We all do stupid things. We look at how our politics are handled here with the reshuffling of prime ministers again and again. These are not perfect people leading, leading a perfect country, no matter how great the advertisement looks and the new plans and this, that, and the other. Life is messy. People are broken. And here in Scripture, we have this example, and we have these examples of people who God put his trust in, who God called into relationship, but who were far from the saints that sometimes we imagine them to be. And for me, and hopefully, prayerfully for you, this is extremely encouraging. Because no matter your history, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, if you're in relationship with God, He has not abandoned you. And He loves you. And there's moments later on where Abraham does come to the thing of, oh, I shouldn't have done that. We call that repentance, that moment where you reflect back or you're dealing with something you've done and you go, this is not right, and you go to God and say, I'm sorry. And we all have those moments where we need to apologize for things we've done, where we need to recognize the pain we have caused. And in this story, as it stands, we don't have that immediately. Abraham is the one who stepped out and did something that was wrong. Abimelech is the one who was trying to, for as much as he could, do the right thing. But God doesn't drop his relationship with Abraham at any point. At any point. So if I was to summarize this story really briefly, I'd say Abraham acts badly. Abimelech acts more honorably. There's the questionable family dynamic of the half-sister thing. I'm sure some of you haven't stopped thinking about that. I'm sorry. Go and read some stuff on it. And at the end of it, God affirms the fact that his covenant, his agreement, his relationship with Abraham is still there because Abraham prays for Abimelech and God restores Abimelech's household. God restores his household. So what's something that you and I can take away from this? There's two things that I want to say in, in regards to what we can take away. First of all, don't lie. 
Sweet. Uh, don't, don't lie. Um, what happens here if Abraham was talking with us today is he might say, well, I wasn't fully lying. A half-truth is half a lie. And to be honest, when someone lies to us fully, like they just make it up, most of the time we look at that and we say, oh, they're, they're off, they're a little bit crazy, they're this, they're that. If they fully lie to us and we catch them in that, we normally go, oh, that's just weird. That's a personality thing that I do not like. When people use half-truths to paint themselves or paint their situations better than they are or to get us to do things based on half-information, we look at that and we see that as manipulative and that is deeply hurtful. What we have here is Abraham choosing to use a half-truth to protect himself and to manipulate the situation so that he would not be harmed. And that is deeply hurtful. Like imagine being Sarah in all of this. My goodness. Your husband is standing there denying you so that he can be protected. That's as far as someone who should be following the one true God. That's as far as they should be acting when they have that sort of relationship. That's terrible. Yet in your life and in my life, we have people around us who use half of the truth to get their way or they use half of the truth to make sure that they're protected. And it's deeply painful, especially when they say that they love Jesus. What do you do with that? This is someone who says that they have a relationship with Jesus Christ. This is someone who says they have a relationship with the one true God, yet they're using the truth in such a way that it's manipulative and deeply harming. What do, what do we do with that? One of the things uh, we can do is if you're the one who's doing that, stop doing it. All right? Um, I can't remember. There was a skit on TV ages ago and it said, are you having trouble with this, that or the other? Then just stop it. Now that is a really simple answer. And if you're outside of the situation, it's easy just to go in to say, hey, Abraham, you know, last time in Genesis 12, you did the exact same thing. You're about to do the exact same thing again. Stop it. Don't, just don't do it. But when we enter into someone's worldview and when we see their past, when we see their reasoning, when we see their, um, their relational structures, their financial structures, when we see the hurt that they've endured, we start to get a little bit of a picture as to why they decided to do that in the first place. When Abraham went into this new area, the pain that he had from the previous Canaanite cities, he started to paint this new one with that same canvas. And he started to say, this place is going to be the exact same as last time. I'm going to protect myself and I'm going to tell this half-lie to make sure that I am okay. And you and I do this as well. We have a bad experience and we go into a new place and we bring that pain over and instead of letting go maybe, or instead of trusting and saying, hey, maybe it might be different. Maybe these people actually love me when they say it. We just go put up our hand and say, stay away from us. I've been through this before. I know what this is like. And it can be deeply, deeply hurt, hurtful for us. But here in Genesis, we have confidence that God still loves people even when they mess up, which might, if someone who says they love Jesus, if they're hurting you, that might be a really painful thing to hear right now. And I recognize that. Maybe someone in your life is causing you a lot of grief and they say that they believe in Jesus. 
And uh, as they're causing you this grief, you just wanted to say, no, I don't want God to have a relationship with them. That's not fair. Why does God get to, why, why do they get to have that, that relationship when they're the ones who are doing such awful things? And the answer to that is, I don't know. If I was God and I was dealing with Abraham, I probably would have dropped him. But I'm not God, thank God. And he is much more grace-filled than we could ever be. Now, there are other stories in the Bible, and uh, next week we're going to look at one where God is, is not so much grace-filled, but very truth-orientated. And it's going to be in the life of Jesus, where Jesus comes down very hard on a few truths. And that's what we're going to look at next week. But for today, all I want you to hear is that if you have a relationship with Jesus, then he loves you no matter your history, no matter your past, no matter what you've done. And if you're sitting here this morning and you don't have a relationship with God, and you would like that, then I want to pray for you in just a second. And I want you to know that turning to God is not some 50-step program. It's recognizing that he's awesome, he's pure, he's amazing, and that Jesus, even when we were far... Uh, just go to the last slide, sorry, Jackie. Even when we were far from him, I'm going to... Up here it says when he, they were enemies. Um, oh, sorry, next one after that one. Um, even when we were enemies of God, even when we were standing in opposition to him, Jesus still died for you and for me. Because at the end of the day, God is faithful even when people are not.